0: To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound.
1: Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. 14 years ago, Augusto began with an idea that social media was changing the way that content would be made and enjoyed, and that they might have the experience and mix of skills to make a new kind of production company for the new environment. The model they've pioneered has been a hit, not just here, but internationally. They've worked with Tourism New Zealand, Netflix, Adidas, Reese Darby and Richie McCaw, but also mental health projects, ventures, and recently, Prince Harry. We're joined today by Michelle Walsh, co-founder and global CEO, to hear about their story of growing to the stage they moved to the US to make it in New York, and how COVID had them come back home to rebuild with a focus on impact. Thank you for joining us today, Michelle Walsh of Augusto.
2: Tāna Ki ora. I love the podcast, by the way. Hey,
1: thanks so much for being on it. Love what you do. Um, hey, so you tell us how... You got started with Augusto because it's not that many years ago, but it was... In response to a really big change in the media landscape, hey.
2: Such an interesting time. If we back it up, um, it's 2008. I'm, my background's as a TV director, and I studied documentary production. My husband Leon, who um, is sort of infamous around town <laughs> for being, a, you know, a big personality and really curious and interested in everything, he was working at October, and he'd been a film—sorry, uh, a, a television cameraman. An editor, and what we were seeing at the time—if you go back to that time—the industry was really fragmented. So we had um, ad agencies with TV commercial production companies making million-dollar commercials that were thirty to sixty seconds. We had TV production companies making TV shows, and we were making ten episodes for half a million dollars. We had corporate video people making corporate videos and burning them to DVD. Remember that time? Um, and then, of course, what popped up is this this desire for content. Now, of course, it wasn't called that, but people were wanting longer stories. And, of course, the iPhone was around and it was starting to look like it could play video um, in, in a landscape format. And we sort of thought it was a really interesting time because nobody was really set up to deliver to that. So we just took a punt. I think we'd uh, just had our third child. Um, we were... Working really hard, we thought. I know. Why don't we start a business? To have a have a rest. Um, and um, from there, we sort of thought, what if we took the best out of all of those things? We took the cost modelling from television production. We took the brand focus and the brand values from the commercial side of the industry, and um, and to kind of mash them together and bring all those people together and see if we can't make commercial content that's longer form really cost effectively. And that's how it started.
1: And that kind of recipe for things that were creative and lived the brand values and were entertaining, um, which you know, so so interesting that idea. Like for television, you had maybe you know fifty grand for half an hour to keep people entertained. Well, for an ad, you had two hundred thousand for thirty seconds to keep people entertained. So bringing that skill of storytelling to that different format, it had it had a real um, nerve, eh? Like it was a real shit. Sure.
2: It sure did. and I mean, I remember bringing people, cameramen over from television and saying, do you want to try to work on this kind of thing where we're making stories, but it's for brands um, and advertising agencies being like, yo, what are you guys doing? But, you know, that's never going to take off. <laughs> so it was a very, very interesting time. And, of course, there was other people around the world doing it. We weren't unique, but but um, it was fun at, the, at that time. And we, we literally started out with – a computer that my mum paid for. Thanks, mum. A
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> little shout out. Um, i just come off maternity leave with a third child and, and we just had this idea that we thought we could kind of mash it up. It just made sense in our mind that there was going to be this need. Um, and so we backed it. What kind of
1: clients were you able to attract? And when did you know that you, because it's a big risk to, to, yeah. to go out on your own like that. And when did you know it was working?
2: I think in the beginning we were uh, scrapping and finding interesting clients that sort of understood they wanted something for their websites that resembled a story or a short documentary, but not long into being, um, so we just sort of launched during the GFC, brilliant timing, and then uh, saw our way sort of through that. And in about 2010, we got a phone call from Adidas who said that they wanted a video that was a little bit longer and they weren't sure who could do it. And um, we were like, oh, gosh, you know, that 20 grand, that's like half a TV show (laughs) all day long. (laughs) Let's give it a go. And um, that started this amazing relationship. You know, within that year, we, we actually made a documentary for them. Which is an incredibly um, privileged experience uh, about the All Blacks jersey called the Making of Black. So we were sort of doing these these long form and short form and what was it? And I guess it was content uh, really early on. And and that relationship with Adidas has gone on for twelve years. Um, and now you know as we as as their needs grew, they allowed us to grow our capabilities. And we just did um, one of their global brand campaigns, one of their big global. Uh, brand campaigns this month, um, which was had nothing to do with rugby or, or New Zealand, and and that just it came out of just continuing to over-service them and and keep trying harder and harder. And, yeah, it's, that's been an extraordinary relationship. But that's weirdly how it started, and that, that of course, led into the sort of rugby, further rugby relationships.
1: Yeah, because yeah, before long, in the scheme of your company, for something that started out to make kind of, you know, lo- longer kind of online content... You were making one of the bigger movies of the year with the Ritchie McCaw story, Chasing Great. Was that always part of the plan, to be able to do any kind of content or anything that you wanted? Um, Or how did that come about?
2: I think that's really, really interesting. It, when we started out, obviously we didn't have funding or cash flow. I certainly back then wouldn't have known how to raise money. It was really important we diversified our revenue right from the get-go because cash flow was so patchy and we were just building ourselves up. And so we, we also, of course, always wanted to be able to tell stories that, that impacted people and were inspiring and so from the very beginning, we were making documentaries. I think one of our first ones was with David Farrier about the national anthem, which is um, funny looking back on that now. But um, that we we had that desire to have be storytellers in long form and do the commercial work, not just for the, the diversified revenue, but also because if we were going to confidently tell stories for brands, we had to know that people would come and see our, our, that we knew how to tell a story that somebody would pay to see or at least um, seek out to watch. And so I know the word storytelling is thrown around all day long by everyone now, but, um, and I don't know another word for it, Mm. but I think when we talk about storytelling, the fact that we have that legacy and we carry on telling long form stories that people um, seek out to watch, I think has a huge value over across on the, on the advertising side. And and vice versa, we get this extraordinary talent that comes out of advertising that's really excited about telling different kinds of stories, and we mash up those skill sets. And that's been, I think, one of the big uh, reasons for our success in um, talent retention. We have really high staff retention, and I'd probably put that down to not that we knew at the time, but that mash up of different opportunities and different industries coming together to challenge people. Mm -hmm. And what
1: kind of doors does doing a documentary about someone like Richie McCaw open for you around the world? Is another thing, like, you know, working with Adidas from very early on, um, uh, working with with people like Rhys Darby, who we'll talk about soon. um, There are some real kind of international links to the business from very early on in its DNA, which, Mm. you know, not every kind of company starting to make content for, you, you know, people in New Zealand would be setting themselves up like that.
2: Yeah, I think we've always had a uh, focus on international. I, m- I think most Kiwi businesses do because you, you realise, you know, we have some extraordinary talent. And I know that this it sounds like I feel like everybody says this, but it w- wasn't until we got to New York, which we'll talk about in a second, but that we realised how good our talent is here for sure when we tried to, to um, find people that had similar sort of passion and skill set. But I think if you go back to Richie, what was really interesting about the model that we created is that, the advertising side of the business had allowed us to take punts on the documentary side. And Richie's documentary came about because we, we got a hunch that he would be retiring as we all did. We're like, we can't do this forever. (laughs) What if we told his story as a follow doc? And I remember, um, Richie contacted, um, husband Leon about something, a charity event that was coming up and, and Leon just had the guts to say, Hey, um, yeah, we could come along and help out for sure. Uh, could we tell your life story? Uh, you know, good, good kind of swap
1: trade. How not we come along? Haven't we? We don't leave for two and a half how about years. We don't
2: leave. And, and Richie sort of laughed and said, "Oh yeah, 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 sure, you can, you know, you can tell my story." Thinking he's never going to tell his story, and then lo and behold, we sort of knock on the door and say, "Right, we're ready. Let's start following you." Um, and he was like, "Well, hang on a minute. I don't know. What if I don't win the World Cup?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, the fact that you're you're even going to attempt to do this again and, and your last game." maybe the win or loss of a World Cup is extraordinary. So when we started that documentary, we literally just funded it. We started filming um, not knowing what it was, not knowing who was going to fund it. And that was the cool thing about having that diversified revenue is that you, 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 you have the ability to kind of stretch and do interesting things without knowing what the outcome is going to be. And I think in that instance, um, I, I, we got on a plane with Richie, went to Carter for for his 100th test. Still not knowing if this was going to be interesting or, or how we were going to put it together. Of course, you know he's got an interesting story, but we weren't sure how we were going to tell it. And we we're walking down um, the Millennium Stadium late at night. It's it's raining, and there's just these beautiful lights and reflections everywhere, super cinematic looking. And he's walking along. We're walking behind him, and he's in a hoodie. Um, this didn't make the film, interestingly, but um, and he gets to the turnstiles at Cardiff Stadium, and he says, um, "Oh." I've never seen what it looks like to come in from from for for the punters, you know. Maybe one day soon, that's that's how I'll be coming into the stadium. And I was like, whoa! Like for some reason, that just made was felt so interesting to me, and that gave us the confidence to carry on filming. And of course, eventually, it got um, picked up. And we, being us, wanted to make it the best documentary of all time. Um, and, it, and I think it became the most um the the highest grossing doc of all time in New Zealand played in a whole bunch of places and I'm really proud of that but um that was kind of the genesis of something like that it was always like let's make something extraordinary and what if we just followed him and what if and I think we're natural risk takers um Leon and I love the um such a startup mentality as well just that like oh what if what if and that's how it happened And how have
1: you kept kind of ownership and control to be able to do that kind of cool stuff as, um, you know, uh, flying to Cardiff and, like, um, you you know, working out what to do with um, kids and life and the rest of the business while putting this energy into something that doesn't have, like, a defined business plan around it? It's the kind of thing you can do when you're in control of your own thing, hey?
2: It is. It is. It's quite mad and... um we, we have a family's motto, which is like adventure in chaos. Yeah. Um, uh, that's definitely better than the other one we're going to have, which is nice things come here to die because we seem to break everything that comes into the house with four kids. <laughs> um, so adventure in chaos is much more inspiring. Um, but that's probably summarizes our life. We just, we, we just have this kind of philosophy that we're just here once. Like, why not try it? It's, it's just nuts sometimes, but um, it's, it's incredibly exhilarating. And I think great things are hard to make and great things take sacrifice. And if you can enjoy that process, then, you know, kind of go for it. But you definitely need an appetite for risk and you also have to be able to live with uncertainty and embrace, not just live with it, sort of thrive in it.
1: Yeah, trust that you'll work it out as you go.
2: But it's an interesting dilemma because now we, you know, we have an... A, Augusto is fourteen years old. We have fifty staff, and sometimes our um, startup mentality isn't always helpful. <laughs> we come in and we're like, "Right, what should we do this week?" As a new idea, and it's like, "Okay, whoa, <laughs> we're back up, yeah. back up. Uh, go, go to another city and fig- figure that out." Um, yeah. uh,
1: and and what does doing something like a Richie McCordoco <laughs> and working oh, yes. for Eddie do? And being able to set you up overseas as kind of the All Blacks, especially a couple of years ago, became a real kind of totem in the world for kind of winning culture and being the most winningest team and kind of what made them special. And they, they were a real kind of, um, they had a real moment on the global stage as you were doing that work.
2: You know what else is really, you're so right, but you know what else is really cool about doing something like that film is and you'll know this yourself. Interviewing different people that you come across is there's lots of learnings you take when you make a documentary, and and I had some takeaways during that um, that were profound for me uh, about how to overcome adversity and and how to push through really difficult things. And you know, there's a there's a part in the film where uh, Richie talks about the big wave surfers and how they want to be on the crest of that wave and they want to test themselves. And I had multiple conversations with myself, picking myself up visually from the bottom of the wave and putting myself up and say, saying, you want to be here, you want to test yourself. So so there was those kind of learnings. And then, of course, you're right, absolutely, that film film opened, opened some doors. We We got to the US. Well, firstly, we were working with AIG. And Adidas and all of the the great sponsors that we were privileged to work with at that time. And so we had relationships in New York already. But one of our relationships um, with the NBA, you know, the relationship with the NBA came about because um, some people had seen that doco. And so when we said, hey, we've got a great idea for a story. We don't know what it is. We could actually back that up and say, oh, yeah, we felt like this about this one to when it turned out okay.
1: And so the US became quite a focus for you. And with quite a thriving local business with heaps of staff, so you'd built to like a really good level, you decided, you and Leon decided to go and open a New York office with your now four kids, is yeah, that right? We
2: four now. Four kids. So uh,
1: tell me about that. And is that, and this is all oh pre you know, kind of the Rona and all the rest of it, but t- tell me about that plan. Is that was such a great kind of high point for um, a business starting in New Zealand to be taking its kind of IP and process and creativity to, to the home of so much of this um, this thinking.
2: You really hit on something there, and that was the, our process. I think New Zealand. New Zealanders, and again, it always sounds like we're saying the same thing, but there is genuinely like this problem-solving nature that we have that really is novel in my experience in working overseas and this sort of smash-up of different industries and people willing to take on different jobs and have half of this job and half of that job. Um, and I was sort of interesting: could we codify that and could we scale it? Because service businesses are inherently difficult to scale because uh, they rely on, you know, very clever people and talent. And we were just we just loved the challenge of it. It's like, could we take the gift of these extraordinary people we work with and, um, and sort of amplify that overseas? And we were already, to be fair, we were already working with Adidas globally since, you know, for years before that and AIG. So we knew that what we did was was valuable. And also the time zone was incredible. You know, clients even to this day still are kind of blown away that they'll give us changes at at the end of their day and they wake up and it's finished. It's back in their (laughs) inbox. They're like, whoa, (laughs) it's magic. Um, So so that is real um, for sure. But I also think, you know, we just, we thought let's test ourselves in the hardest market in the world. I mean, gee, that doesn't sound difficult, does it? <laughs> and I think we arrived, I, we arrived the week before school started and I remember going down to this dingy basement where this is what you do. You, you turn up and you go to this sort of, this bottom of a school and, and say, oh, I'd like my kids to go to school here, please. And every everyone was horrified because of course, what I didn't realise is people spend their entire lives um, or half of their life figuring out how their kids can could get into the best schools. And there I was a week before, saying, "Hey, you know, can my kid come into this cool school?" So there was many, many challenges, more than I expected. And um, New York asks of you every day, "How badly do you really want to be here?" Uh, which is <laughs> also interesting. Um, but I've just got this philosophy, and Leon luckily does too. Um, that you know, well, if you if you want something badly enough. You've got to have the energy to climb over the walls that will drop in front of you. And if, if you know the walls are coming, it's sort of just like, oh, yeah, here we go. There's another mm. wall.
1: <laughs> and for a while there, the world was getting a lot closer. There was, you know, the flight was coming yeah, for New York, which, yeah. you know, is now oh, yeah. back on. And there, there were a lot more links coming in. But then kind of like a bigger wall than I think any of us had foreseen yeah. came down now with COVID. And what did that do to your
2: plans? We were not anticipating a wall of that size. Um, I think we're all still, you know, shaking our head that we've even half climbed over it. Just for some sort of, I don't know, just to drop you in that week of March, whatever it was, March 2020, we got a letter from the schools in New York saying uh, there's this thing called COVID-19 and uh, schools won't be closing. It's all under control it's not going to impact education. And on the 18th of March, we're flying home to New Zealand, so it, it was it was fast, as we all know. And I, I think on the you know the, on the 14th of March, even um, I turned my closet into a food storage, <laughs> and I'd ha- I had enough um, rice and, and lentils there to last us probably six months. And um, and then what happened is you know I our business is not um, built on retainers; it's all project based. And um, during those few days, I think we lost 85% of our revenue overnight in New Zealand. And the school shut and our office in New York shut. And people started getting COVID before, over there, obviously, before we got here. And we said to the kids, you know, you've got 36 hours, pack your suitcases. And we got on the plane. And I remember we came back. And there were no masks here. Everyone was just carrying on. And we were like, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, a couple of days later, you know, it was the same impact. But it was a fascinating fascinating time. But I remember I was at Houston um, airport writing to staff saying, team, I don't know what's coming. We're going to go to 80%. We're tenacious as anything. You, you have our word that we will do everything in our power to get through this. And that's all we could do.
1: And so after years of building and then building all those relationships in the state and then moving, moving over and making a go of it, having to kind of come back, come back to New Zealand...
2: Yeah, it was a shock, for sure. I mean, I guess all of it, you know, there's not a business out there that didn't have some version of this. Um, And I think at some point in the future, we'll all sort of take a collective breath and go, gosh, what was that? And there's a a lot of learnings we probably even haven't had the chance to reflect on. Um, But... Uh, resilience will be one of them. <laughs> the learnings, more resilience.
1: Yeah, and we'll be back in a moment to hear from Michelle Walsh of Augusto how they came back to New Zealand and refocused their business and have grown again. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step by step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more.
2: Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment?
0: And we're back with Michelle Walsh, who was just telling
1: us how they found themselves in New York and having to make their way home to New Zealand. And so you were back here. You had about a a 50-person agency. COVID was just rolling in. Tell me how you refocused the business and really honed in on impact as what you wanted to push into for the the, the near future after having had so much effort going into that international expansion, having been that that next big focus? And yeah, what was the role of of Impact and how's that been part of your company?
2: It's so interesting when you go through something like COVID, like most businesses, you have to do a lot of navel gazing and... The things that you thought mattered matter less, and you start looking at your people and thinking, you know, what's it all for? What's it all about? How do how do I help service these people and create a great place to work? And we'd always, I think, particularly through our documentary side, but certainly with some of the brands we were working with, we were inspired to to tell stories that mattered and moved people, and um, whether that was through brands or documentary and. So it was quite natural for us to lean in further into that space and and think, well, what if we could reimagine the work that we did and we took all of this incredible superpower and these great creative minds and these great problem solvers and we told stories for brands that are doing great for people and planet as well as, you know, with profit. At, at, yeah, what if we were to focus all that energy into brands that were focused on not just profit, but also on doing good for people and planet? I, I think we have a role as an industry um, to choose where we put our creative time and resource in those superpower brains. You know, what if what if as an industry we started thinking, well, what kind of brand stories do we want to put our best resources to?
1: Yeah. Like when you were saying before that... For people who had worked in advertising, say, being able to come over and make longer form, more meaningful things, like it must be really powerful for your team. If you know you've spent your career making people fall in love with a bank in thirty seconds, or you know, cage eggs, or something, you know, dreadful, and then um, and then you're able to come over and work for things that have a bit more meaning. And and yeah, tell me about those kind of projects because I think a lot of people would have seen the work that you've been involved with for say. Um, Oh, tourism New Zealand, or put, you know, put New Zealand on the map, you know things like that. Um, yeah, tell me about those kind of projects.
2: Well, it's so interesting. We we naturally gravitated towards doing things that impacted for good, I and mean, that's just a natural. I mean, we'd all like to do that, right? But instead of just sort of hoping that we would do more of that work, or we just doing it as our sort of charity pro bono thing, we said, "Well, what if we could?" Um, move the business more and more into that space and consciously find revenue? Because, of course, it has to be sustainable. There's no, no good building a company that doesn't pay for the staff by just telling good stories. So what if we could take more and more of our revenue from um, businesses doing good for, for people planet and also um, projects, long-form projects, that are telling inspiring stories or impacting people for good? And and once we made that decision, we, we really lent into it But what that meant as well, and and with that, we created some amazing work like um, Jessica's Tree and Girl on a Bridge, which tackle suicide and mental health really head on. Um, And working for brands like um, New Zealand Tourism, which was really exciting and helping um, lift the tourism industry after COVID was, was definitely fit into that as well for us. But um, what we had to face in making that decision was looking at some of the brands that didn't make us feel great about what we were selling or what we were doing. And um, we actually parted ways with a couple of brands and even turned away um, a really significant piece of work from a brand that we just didn't align with and I tell you what your values aren't tested truly until you're going through some tough cash flow problems and there's a pile of money in front of you but that is the antithesis of where your values are and that was really really hard and and I remember talking to the team because we were all sort of like oh you know gosh that revenue would be really helpful and we have a lot of people here and um and I, I, I quoted this thing that I'd heard when I was a little kid. I don't, even, uh, you know, um, my dad used to drag me along to um, lots of seminars when I was a kid, and I remember um, someone saying, talking about this idea of the vacuum law of prosperity that nature abhors a vacuum. So if you create a space, it will be filled by something that, that you want. Right down to, like, if you have, you know, an old couch you don't like, just remove it and, I, you know, a new couch appears pretty quickly <laughs> when, when there's nowhere to sit. And I had that in my mind. I was like, I think we need to, to test this and risk take the risk. And, yes, there'll be a vacuum and that's really scary. But if we're going to say that we're living by our values and we're going to tell our staff this, we have to back ourselves. You can't be talking like that. And on the other hand, just sort of taking money from doing work that is is not in line. So we did that and um, it was scary. But what was so cool, and I'm still really excited about when I think about, is, um, is that we created that space. And literally, like within, I don't know, it would have been like four to eight weeks, we had Prince Harry not literally him, but Knock on the Door with a, with a fantastic campaign around sustainability. And Adidas gave us this incredible piece of work um, Run for the Oceans to help take plastic out of the oceans and end plastic waste. And we didn't even pitch for it. It's this huge global campaign and it's because we articulated that that's where we want to be and that's what we care about. And that is so exciting to me. I just, I I think, you know, you can have all these theories in your mind. Um, at some point you've you've got to take the punt and back them. And in that instance, um, it was so gratifying and relieving, <laughs> let's be honest, that um, that space was filled. And and that's where we're going. And how did you go about
1: clearly articulating what you're wanting to do so everyone knew? As You know, at, at one end, it might sound almost like it's kind of um, a bit spiritualist to say what you put into the universe comes back. But that's the very basis of marketing, right? <laughs> that you tell people what you're about and then people that match up with those values and what you're up to will seek you out to work with because there's the values match and because you're offering what they're after. So, um, yeah, tell us how you actually made that um, really clear to the the world and, and let people know.
2: I think in, in some instances it was seeking out people doing great work in the space and helping businesses um, look at what impact they were having. On their communities and um, and on the planet, so we started going down that 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 train of like let 's open the lid up and actually what are we doing in the space? How are we looking after our people meaningfully um, what are we doing for the planet and so When those conversations start, they sort of, it's like a flywheel. It just momentum picks up. And, um, I think with Adidas, we literally were talking to their, to their teams about where we want, where we saw ourselves in the future. Um, some of it's water cooler talk, you know. I think, I think if it is a, I think if it is a true value, you get excited about it and you end up talking to people and that message carries on because there's such a deep belief. I think if you do it out of lip service or because you think you have to, um, people probably see through that pretty quickly and so it 's such a deep driver for us um, that I think we just get excited and talk about it and, and, and it 's worked I, there hasn 't been like a we 're terrible at our own marketing. I think um, we didn 't even put Augusto on the door for three years like that 's how bad we are at our own marketing but um, I think if if you live really truly to your values and it sounds kind of trite, but it really
1: pays off, mm. and that thing about being brave to back yourself—you um, know—to to create the vacuum, and and just that idea about being really intentional. Like, you know, if you want to do more of something, do more of it, and if you want to do less of something, do less. It's way easier than said than done when you've got fifty really great people and a big office. Maintains fifty people <laughs> to to pay for it, is you can very 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 quickly get into cash flow issues without a retainer led business.
2: Yeah, super scary. I think um, most people, if they walked into our business at that during that time and <laughs> without a backstory, they would have been taking a sharp intake of breath for sure. Um, I luckily things like New York and all of you know all of those things and even going through COVID. Um, your r- risk, sorry, your appetite for risk increases dramatically, and you're more comfortable with the uncertainty. Um, but at some point, you've got to wake up. Like Augusto 14 years old, so at some point, you have to wake up and say, "We don't." I often say to the staff you guys can go and leave and work somewhere else. This We, we can't. This is where we work, so we have to want to be here every day. Um, I've got to get up and get excited about the next project. And so in a funny way, it's it's almost a bit selfish because I was like, well, I care so much about doing stuff that matters, and, and obviously the staff do too. Um, but again, you sort of have to come back to like what, what are you prepared to fight for every day because business is – Man, they, like I said, the walls keep coming. There's, there's no end in sight. Um, so, if if you're not true, if you're not building something that you keep believing in day after day after fourteen years, then you're probably not going to keep turning up yourself. And tell me
1: about some of the things you've built into the business that do. Go, uh, that, that do answer that need for something that isn't just project-based and isn't uh, able to just disappear, like the venture work that you've been doing. And I see that you um, have released Coachmate, which is yes. a really cool app uh, in the sporting world. And that's been a big part of your role, right?
2: Yeah. I think once um, I have a fantastic CEO, Amy McCammon, and she was put in place when we went to New York. And that, was, um, that allowed me to free up and, and use that, um, along with Leon, use that sort of startup culture again and build something again. We were really, really interested in um, building our own, own IP. That was important. Um, we thought, well, if we're going to build something of our own, what, what could we build that has impact and needs the kind of skills that we have in video production? And I'm a mum of four. And I think I counted the other day, I've been on the sidelines of 19 different sports over the last 15 years. And I saw a problem <laughs> in that space that I really thought there could be a solution to. And um, and that was that, you know, sports rely on an army of volunteers um, to coach kids and give them great sports experiences. And those people are time poor. And... um busy people who have great intention but don't always have the tools to be able to do a great job. And and the, the catalyst for kicking off Coachmate was actually that um, a client came in wanting to make some videos on coaching, um, who is now my business partner, Lee Kenyon. And he was like, "What it, I've got you know, he was a fantastic football coach and he, he had this idea of taking his coaching to more people. And it was just a culmination of me going, that is a problem. Um, let's have a look at it. And we started digging in and we found that kids leave sport at five times the rate under an unskilled coach. And we thought about the mental health, um, uh, the impact on kids' mental health and well-being and community well-being because of that drop-off. Um, and and sort of set about to to see if we could fix the problem, and that was wildly ambitious because I'd never made an app, and I certainly knew nothing about SaaS businesses, and um, and we sort of did it anyway. So three years down the track, we just um, launched basketball. New Zealand's um, Girls Got Game and Kiwi Hoops program across the country for free for any coach that wants to do it. Um, we also did New Zealand golf. They were our very first cap off the rank. and there's more sports following, and, and hopefully we'll take that internationally. But that's really exciting to me because unlike stories um, that gain a lot of traction and then they're sort of gone four days after the news cycle's finished, um, Coachmate has the potential to impact kids for for years and years and years and years, and that's really exciting to me.
1: And does it allow parents to be able to help their kids more with how to drill between practices and stuff? It's something I've noticed. I mean, <laughs> I'm useless, right? Like, I was quite handy at doing what I was told when... Um, to help as a coach for my um, kids when they were about seven, because they'd give you a little form that told you the drills to do. But as soon as it became a bit harder than that, I don't know what I'm doing.
2: That's so funny. We always say there's a lot of PDFs at the bottom of sports bags that that parents don't always know how to use. Uh, I think um, my poor husband, Leon, um, was the only person available on a Tuesday to take my kids' soccer team. And... um, I, we saw a, a marked difference between what he was able to do and somebody who, who had a bit of coaching experience, although he made up for it in a lot of laughs and fun. But at the end of the day, um, kids stay in sport when they're engaged and they're having a really great time. And so that's what we're trying to tackle. And yes, um, we've, the app is just released for coaches, but we'll be doing a parent app as well to help support parents at home. Um, yeah.
1: And if you can if you can do something <laughs> about the 4 trillion WhatsApp messages and reply all emails that come in, that'd be real cool. Uh, yeah,
2: you. You. you wait till you've got four kids in 17 different sports. <laughs> um, that's,
1: that's so cool. And, yeah, so um, as a final couple of questions, um, you know, what advice would you have for someone who might be in an industry where they see a whole lot of change and they can see maybe somewhere they could have a business and start something of their own? What advice do you give to people starting out?
2: I think if they've got that, like, real kind of, curiosity and and drive and they can see it, I think go for it. I mean, it, as long as you're prepared to get over all the walls, you know, and I think Steven Spielberg actually said that um, you have to want something badly enough that you crawl over the walls to get there. But um, it's, it's going to be a hard journey. But if you've got that vision and you really believe in it, you can almost will a business into existence. I really believe that if you really want it badly enough – um, now, of course, there's money and all sorts of other things which, which can be limiters, and I, I, I really understand that. We ate a lot of two-minute noodles for a while there. But um, if you've got that drive and passion, it's such an exciting adventure.
1: And as a final thought, what will success be for you and for Augusto?
2: As much as it sounds, you know, it's overused, success is a journey, not a destination, it's really important to remember that because, because you never arrive and every day will feel like today and you'll get up and check the weather and, um, and and check what your kids are doing and look at the news and then you'll have to get up and do the same thing again. And I think if we can keep doing that with extraordinary people who want the same things, um, have the same energy to make a change and make a difference in the world, um, then, then happy days. You know, sign me up. <laughs> That's so cool. Well,
1: thank you so much for coming and sharing your story today. That's Michelle Walsh, the co-founder and global CEO at Augusta.
2: Thank you, Simon. It's been a pleasure.
1: So thank you to Michelle, to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Te Aie Butler. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. And keep an eye out for Going Global in your Business is Boring feed, our new podcast with
0: MZTE. Enohura. From the Spin Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on Spark Lab, Visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te te here, podcast manager at The Spin Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin Off member at The Spin Donate. The Spin Off Podcast Network.